Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Crossroads, the podcast, and this time the Asia-Pacific edition. My name is Robin Ganguly. I am the Asia-Pacific editor for Infralogic, as well as Information and Spark Spread. Today, we have two very distinguished guests. We have Hardik Shah, Managing Director of Infrastructure from KKR, and we also have Cecilio Velasco, who's Director of Infrastructure at KKR as well. Hardik, if you could just introduce yourself for our listeners. Thank you, Robin. Thank you for inviting us to this podcast. Uh, like you said, I'm Hardik Shah. I'm part of KKR's Asia-Pacific infrastructure team. I'm based in Mumbai, and I'm primarily responsible for KKR's infrastructure investments in India. Thanks for that, Hardik. Uh, Cecilio? Hi, everyone, and thanks for having me, Robin. I'm Cecilio Velasco, and I'm a director here at KKR's Asia-Pacific Infrastructure Strategy, uh, based in our Singapore office. So thanks to both of you, Hardik and Cecilio, for joining us today. I really appreciate the time. And I know, Cecilio, you've been quite busy since early this morning at the Infrastructure Investors Forum uh, today, this uh, this morning. To begin the discussion, um, uh, Hardik, perhaps this might be directed at you. KKR seems to have a rather big renewables ambitions. What for you are the most attractive markets in Asia Pacific and around the world for renewables? And, and if you could just tell us why, and just drilling down into which sectors as well, solar, wind, or offshore wind. Sure, Robin. So the renewable sector has been a sector of focus for KKR across our infrastructure strategies for a number of years. So we've made a number of investments in the sector across the world, whether it's in North America, whether Europe, and more recently in the Asia Pacific region as well. So it's a theme that we've looked at investing into for many, many years now. And that theme has now grown multifold and is now what we call the energy transition theme. And so just plain vanilla renewable energy investment is now morphing and evolving into what we're calling the energy transition. And certainly, the Asia-Pacific region is a region where we see a lot more opportunity to prosecute this energy transition theme. We've already made investments behind this theme in markets like India and Southeast Asia from our, from our various strategies, and we will continue to look at investing behind this theme across different, uh, different countries in the region. In terms of which are the most attractive markets? I think a large part of the Asia-Pac region offers a lot of opportunity here. So markets like India, China have very, very large uh, targets for renewable energy and, uh, and clean energy. And so we will look to invest behind that theme across those markets. You've got markets like Korea, Australia, Japan, which while are smaller in terms of megawatts, but are quite large in terms of their ambitions and in terms of the amount of capital needed to to invest behind those behind those themes. So we do see that we will continue to make further inroads into the energy transition across this region, across pretty much all our focused markets. In terms of which sectors are more attractive, I do think that's quite country specific and region specific. 
though we do already have investments in solar in the asia pac region we have investments in wind across uh, across our, our global infrastructure strategy in 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 north america and it's it, it's both solar and wind are sectors we continue to look at across the asia pac region as well offshore wind is something we're certainly interested in but it's it is slightly more early early stage for us right now it's a sector that we're learning more about and we're looking to do more in and then you look at other sectors other more emerging sectors across the energy transition theme like storage like hydrogen etc again those are sectors that we've got on our minds and those are sectors we continue to research and look at and those are sectors we hope to we hope to invest in in the in 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 the near to medium term thanks for that yes i i agree uh, hardik just a quick follow up you know kkr has been pretty active in india and i i understand you're based in mumbai what about if we're looking at india specifically because several investors that i've spoken to in recent times have stated what is actually the obvious is that you know you cannot invest in the asia pacific without you know having a bit of the india pie so what do you see as the most attractive sectors in india specifically and you know you you guys have gone in you know with the whole infra infra system in in about 3 years ago and what would you say are some of the challenges of investing in a very complicated market like india sure so completely agree with the sentiment there uh, robin india continues to be one of our key focus markets among others in the asia pacific region and the reason for that is that india is probably one of the deeper and more active markets for foreign and private infrastructure investing in the region the indian government has been focused on private sector participation in infrastructure for the better part of 20 years now different sectors have been have been uh, inviting private sector participation for different periods of time so sectors like roads etc have we've seen ppp in roads for over 20 years now and that's a very very mature sector sectors like airports ports transmission etc probably started seeing private sector participation between 10 and 15 years ago and again those sectors are maturing as well and what what that's resulted in is you've got a very large pool of operating infrastructure assets with long term government contracts that you've got available in the country for foreign investors to invest in and that's contributing to creating an ecosystem here of investors of developers who want to build these assets and then sell to to longer term owners so we've got we, we what we have here is probably one of the more active market more active infrastructure markets across this region for sure and you do have attractive assets here that people want to own for the longer term so i think that's that is what contributes to the sentiment that you're seeing across a lot of foreign investors that you must be in india and then to the second part of your question which is what what are the what, what are the sort of risks or what is the how do you sort of Uh, what keeps us up at night let me put it that way i think you actually touched upon it in your question itself which was it is a complex market it's a complex market with a lot of interlinkages with a lot of uh, with with a lot of i would say not unseen risks but certainly risks that can creep up on you so as such the way we get comfortable with it is we've been kkr as a firm has been present in india on the ground for the better part of 15 years we've spent time learning about the market not just infrastructure but just more broadly and we've spent time creating the relationships creating the linkages which we think 
helps us identify the right assets to create the right risk-adjusted returns. Harik, I don't know if I'm putting you on the spot here, but just a couple of examples of the challenges of doing business in India, especially you know given the realities of COVID-19. Sure, I think the COVID nineteen piece is just it's it's hard to it's hard, it's hard for someone to visit, and that's the reality. It's hard for 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 doing diligence. It's hard to sort of get to meet people, etc. And that situation is normalizing. But I would say for the better part of the last eighteen months, a lot of transactions have had to be done virtually, which is okay to do with people you've known for many years, but it's very hard to do with someone you've never met. So I think that's certainly been one challenge over the last eighteen months. But more broadly. I think the 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 risks that one sees is just the uncertainty in in the way situations will play out the timelines it takes sometimes for getting government approvals the timelines it takes to get things done I think that's the key those are the key key uncertainties that one has to be prepared to face when you're looking to invest in India and again if you've been around for a long period of time, if you've got the right relationships, you'll know that upfront. So you will build, you, you'll think that through upfront before sort of uh, running behind a transaction or an opportunity. Thanks for Hardik. You know, I'm, I'm actually going to come back to you on that point a bit later, but I just want to quickly move across to Cecilio. Cecilio, thanks for waiting so patiently. You know, I have a question. So KKR has built a significant presence in Asia since 2005 or so. You know, you have localized teams in different parts of the region. Could you tell me more about the infrastructure team and your approach to investing in the region? I mean, Cecilio, you could start and then, you know, Hardik, if you wanted to jump in. Please go ahead, Cecilio. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to, to elaborate a little. So in general, as you noted, KKR started building out its ASA practice, you know, well over a decade ago. And with that really started with the private equity side of the house and really took a localized approach where it set a number of offices in uh, the, the major or the key countries uh, that we were focused on over time. Uh, and really hired a lot of people locally and, and has a lot of people locally. And as private equity sort of, you know, was established, from there, KKR started layering in a couple more strategies in the region. So our Asia infrastructure strategy, where Hardik and I both, both work, is an example. And so what we basically did is, you know, we added infrastructure specialists, uh, and we tend to have a couple in each of our major markets, um, focused on those markets and really working with and leveraging the broader KKR platform. And candidly, that has been, you know, a huge asset to us in that just already having a presence in the market, already being known, having KKR representatives, even if they're focused on other strategies who have relationships and understand the local dynamics and, and have good connectivity. Uh, has been a pretty neat stepping stone as we think about, you know, the Asia Infra strategy in and of itself. And then I'd also say that, you know, together with that sort of localized approach, uh, we do, you know, really function uh, as one Asia infrastructure team uh, with, you know, pretty seamless uh, collaboration uh, and really working together and sort of cross-staffing and, you know, using best practices and industry expertise across the team as if we were one, uh, even though, you know, physically we're, we're pretty localized in terms of where, where folks in our strategy sit. So it's kind of a high level. Hardik, I don't know if 
want to add something to that. Cecilia, just just uh, is KKR looking to expand the team in in Asia Pacific? Yeah. So look, uh, as a general matter, um, you know, we are growing our strategy, um, and so when we think about the team, we, we gradually sort of increase it as we go. Um, so not that we're particularly sort of looking at anything specific right now. Um, but, you know, we prudently continue to grow the team uh, alongside the growth of the strategy. Okay. Just one more thing is, uh, you know, if you could just help me understand what exactly are your responsibilities in Hardik as well? Yeah, absolutely. So from my side, uh, I sit here in the Singapore office. So I spend a fair bit of my time really looking after the Southeast Asia market, um, but also um, help support sort of our digital infrastrategy uh, across the region um, and then sort of work with, with David, the head of our strategy uh, across a number of APAC sort of level uh, efforts uh, within our team. Excellent. Which actually leads me to my next question. So while several PE funds have invested in the data center sector in Southeast Asia in recent months, KKR has not actually publicly at least, announced any participation yet. Any reason for that? Yeah. Well, look, for us, really, data centers is a key area of focus for our strategy. You know, when we say digital infrastructure or telecom infrastructure, we really have three pillars. First, data centers. Second, telecom towers. And third, fiber networks, uh, really as the main ones. And within data centers, um, you know, it's really a business model and a, a market that we like. You know, it's it's fast growing and it has a lot of infrastructure-like characteristics uh, around sort of contracts, visibility of cash flow, you know, capital intensive, and the like. Uh, that said, you know, it is also a business with many moving pieces. So data centers have a real estate component, local permitting power procurement, construction, sales force. Uh, so it really does require an experienced team uh, that's fairly robust to, to handle the execution. And so for us, you know, at this stage, we, we sort of haven't found the right fit for our strategy. Uh, but data centers, uh, you know, in Southeast Asia and APAC and globally more broadly are certainly within scope. Uh, as an example, currently our, our broader infrastructure team does have one data center platform in Europe called Global Technical Realty, uh, which is a, a team that we backed, you know, last year. Thanks for that. And Cecilia, you know, you might be in a unique position to answer my follow-up question about Singapore and, you know, the curbs on building data centers. So wh where are investors going then, the ones who, you know, would assume would have liked to invest in, in Singapore data centers? Where are they headed, do you think? Yeah, so in terms of the growth on the data center side, I would say, you know, you, you have an established data center market and really sort of data centers across Singapore, Australia, Hong Kong, China, Japan. So, so sort of some of the bigger geographies or some of the more developed markets. Um, in some of the more emerging Asia, like Indonesia, Philippines, data centers are still a little bit newer, uh, you know, so I think people see them a lot as the, the next frontier uh, of where data centers are going to get started. And, you know, when you look at places like Indonesia, uh, I would almost say like 
it's already there. there there's a lot of teams, a lot of companies, a lot of focus. You know, the, the sort of build out is on its way. So the, the operational footprint is, is still limited, uh, but the build out, you know, is, is definitely ongoing. Um, when you look at a few places like Philippines, um, you know, there it's a little bit earlier stage than Indonesia. Um, so there you see, you know, a lot of focus and excitement and talk, um, but the execution is sort of still still coming together. Uh, and that's obviously, you know, with with the exception of, of the established players in the market, like the telcos that, that do have some footprint and some existing data centers, but not really kind of at, at the scale and the size that we see some of the, you know, independent data center companies or, or the hyperscalers really building, uh, you know, massive data centers. Hartik, just coming back to you, first of all, both of you, immense congratulations for earlier this year you know usd 3.9 billion close of your first infrastructure fund you know looking forward to hearing more about your second fund when uh, when you do launch it hardik this one is, is is more for you how excited is kkr or you for instance by the opportunity to remake power grids as we as we move to a new renewables dominated power market is that something you're familiar with and, and happy to comment on? Absolutely. So the first investment that KKR made as part of its Asia-Pacific infrastructure strategy was to acquire control and a significant shareholding in India Grid Trust, which is uh, uh, an infrastructure trust here in India that owns high-voltage, long-distance electricity transmission assets. And we've supported the growth of that trust from about a $750 million asset base when we came in two and a half, three years ago to today over $2.6 or $2.7 billion of assets that that trust owns. And we've provided us along with partners have provide, provided the capital to support that growth. And we continue to look forward to investing into that theme and continue to sort of a, to, to, to grow our exposure to that theme. And Robin, a large part of that growth is actually coming from the Indian government's ambitions on renewable energy. So one, uh, one follow-on impact of increasing renewable energy capacity is that you need more transmission capacity because renewable energy, as you know, is intermittent in nature. So the investment that goes alongside in transmission capacity is a lot more than then what you have to do if you're building the same capacity of of of, of thermal coal or, or or gas fired plants so what we're trying to tap into through our investment in india grid trust is exactly that theme that as the grid in india becomes or as as energy capacity in india becomes more green the follow-on impact will be that there will be more transmission capacity needed and we want to be the capital provider of choice for transmission lines in india Okay. Is there a sweet spot that you have as far as returns are concerned? Higher the better, no? But only joking. Only joking. We look at things more we look at things more from a, a risk adjusted return basis and ultimately we want to make sure we are the preferred source of capital for opportunities and we that we want to we want to come in and price things on at where 
we are making the right returns for the level of risk that we're undertaking. So our cost of capital for something that is way down the uh, way down the risk curve would be very different from our cost of capital for something that is much more early stage or much more greenfield in nature. I would say so. So I, I don't have, I don't think we look at things on an absolute basis. We do we do we do sort of evaluate each opportunity basis the risk that is inherent in those in that opportunity in that cash flow in that business plan and then try to think through what's the right rate of return that we need to provide or provide our investors for taking that risk thanks is there a sweet spot for the size of equity investments that you make so we're we're quite we're quite flexible we're actually quite flexible we've been able to do transactions that are quite outsized for the size of the fund that we have and that's we've been able to do that by using the the power of the KKR network, the KKR balance sheet, KKR's partners, et cetera. So we're actually quite flexible in terms of what sort of transactions that we want to do. I mean, the way we see it is if we think the transaction is a right fit, is the right fit for us, it's an attractive transaction on a on on sort of the risk reward spectrum. We 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 want to try, we, we will try and make it work, whether within KKR or with partners, et cetera. And that's that's how that's how we try and approach our, our uh, new transactions. Thanks for that. Hardik, just, you know, I wanted to go back to what what we were speaking about earlier, about, you know, the difficulty or the complexity of doing business in India. You know, we cover infrastructure, as, as you're aware, and power and energy and renewables. So one of the most noticeable features that, you know, I have seen as far as policy is concerned, is is Nitin Gutkari. He seems to be quite, you know, going hell hell for leather to try and speed up uh, projects, to try and speed up approvals. We've seen situations where he sent directives to you know to officials to try and speed up things and not to uh, hold on to approval lengthy approval processes. Is that the right sort of impression? Do you think things are improving as far as regulatory issues and approvals and so on and so forth? Uh, so, Robin, I would say so. I think we've seen more streamlined processes and we've seen processes get quicker. We've seen the government across across sectors and across ministries be a lot more progressive and a lot more welcoming to towards foreign capital into infrastructure assets in India. So if you look at the infrastructure investment trust regulations that came up about five, six years ago, but have continually been refined and evolved into what they are today and which they're very they're very investor friendly and very very amenable regulations that have allowed a lot of capital to pour into infrastructure investment trusts. If you look at the government's national monetization plan, where the government wants to recycle capital from op- that from operating assets that the government, government companies and government departments own in order to create capacity to build more greenfield infrastructure. And I think a large part of the NMP is focused towards foreign investors. And to the government's credit, they've taken on a lot of feedback from the private sector in terms of how to design that NMP. How do you actually execute on those specific transactions and achieve those specific goals that they've set out? So yes, I would say directionally, certainly things are getting more streamlined. And, and things are getting faster. Uh, you know, the other big Asian giant, the world's second largest economy, I had spoken to your colleagues uh, more than a year earlier, and, you know, the impression that I got at that point of time for China was, you know, wait and watch. Has that changed? Is KKR planning on becoming more active in China, or 
are you watching for the moment? We've always been active in China. That's the reality. We've always continued to look at transactions in China. Our private equity funds, for example, have made a lot of investments into into a lot of companies in China and have been very, very successful. From the infrastructure lens, where uh, and from day one, we've been a lot more focused on B2C or B2B type uh, type assets where the customers that you've got are more corporate in nature or more sort of consumer in nature as opposed to as opposed to sort of contracted assets and that's that's been the strategy and we continue to look at uh, look to deploy capital into the infrastructure sector in, of 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 China across those kind of assets thanks for that Hardik. i think that's really useful information Cecilia, I'm going to move to you. You know, we're running out of time. We'll try and pack in a couple of questions. Southeast Asia, bright spots? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, Southeast Asia is a region we're pretty excited about in general. Uh, reality is we are seeing a lot of growth across the board and, and in many markets. Uh, for us, the two priority ones would be Philippines and Indonesia, really. But, you know, that doesn't mean we're, we're not active across the broader Southeast Asia as well. Um, from an industry standpoint, um, you know, everything from digital infrastructure, as I had mentioned, uh, to renewables, to transportation, um, to energy are really sort of big areas that, that we've been focusing on. Okay. And what about Australia and New Zealand? Yeah. So Australia and New Zealand is, is also uh, an area of focus for us. Uh, we have a couple of colleagues from the infrastructure side there, uh, based in Sydney, um, who spend most of their time looking at Australia and New Zealand. Uh, there we've, we've recently done two transactions earlier this year. Uh, one in the power transmission space and one in the transportation space. Um, so, so also a market, you know, obviously deep with infrastructure, uh, a little bit more competitive than, than some others in the region. Um, but, but definitely full of opportunities if you're looking in the right places. Thank you for that. Hardik, your opinion, apart from Southeast Asia and Australia and New Zealand, Asia, uh, rest of Asia Pac and globally, what do you think are the bright spots for uh, for global investors? I, I think what, what we're seeing, Robin, is we're seeing a lot more capital that is infrastructure focused move into the broader Asia Pac region. I think you've seen North America and Europe attract a lot of capital over the last 10 years and, and, and continue, continuously on an increasing basis as the macro fundamentals of those of those regions have led more institutional investors to, to, to divert their capital towards infrastructure. We are now starting to see the follow-on impact of that and starting to see a lot of that capital starting to look at look at Asia in a lot more with a lot more keenness i would say so the conversations we've been having with with our partners with our investors with people in the market i think have have shown that increasing interest over the last 3 years and then the way things are going we expect that interest to continue right so and within within the region then within the asia pac region we do we 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 think all the markets that we're looking at will continue to see more more uh, more interest and we sort of divide the asia pac region into emerging asia and 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 developed asia and if you look at developed asia it's australia 
New Zealand, which have a very deep local market as well, and a lot of assets and a lot of transaction activity. Then you have markets like Korea, which again have a lot of local capital, but also have a lot of foreign in, foreign investor interest now. And then you have markets like Japan, which have a lot of assets, but it's probably I would say a few years. Uh, it, it, the, the Japan as an infrastructure asset market is a few years behind the rest of the region, but we do see a lot more activity there coming up, especially in the renewable energy space. So that's something that's that's we think is attracting a lot of capital. And then when you look at emerging Asia, which is markets like India, uh, India, Southeast Asia, etc. Again, India is probably a more active market than what we've seen other markets in emerging Asia. But certainly, we, as we see activity grow in the markets like the Philippines, where we've been very active, Indonesia, Vietnam, etc., we're starting to see a lot more interest from investors there as well. So overall, we we do see a trend of increased activity and increased investor interest in pretty much the entire region. And I think what that does is it kickstarts the ecosystem, right? Once there's capital available, transaction ideas come up and transactions become available. And then that sort of leads to more capital being available. And that's the virtuous cycle. And we've, we're seeing that cycle start in, in Asia. And we're, we're probably already a couple of years into that cycle now within Asia. Okay. You know, we keep hearing about a post-COVID-19 world. So what are the markers we need to see to say we're in that, uh, in that stage as far as KKR is concerned? So what markers do you want to see to say that you are in a post-COVID-19 world? I would say, Robin, for the large part, especially, and with, I, I, I speak with a bit of evidence, at least in the Indian market, I would say for the large part, we are, unless there's a, there's a horrendous, wave three or there's a huge wave three that comes up, we are already entering the post-COVID world now. When you look at, whether you look at assets like renewable energy, whether transmission, roads, which we're, we're investors in right now, most of those, most if not all of those assets have come back or are, are surpassing pre-COVID numbers. I think the resiliency that we've seen in the economy and the way we've seen things bounce back has been very, very heartening to see. So overall, we for the large part, except for pockets of of uh, areas like airports, for example, which are impacted more by government lockdowns or government shutdowns or government uh, restrictions on international travel, I think everything else which doesn't have a, a sort of regulatory impediment to it, I think most of it, if not all, has already bounced back to post uh, to pre-COVID levels. You realize, Hardik, that this makes for a very snappy headline. KKR's Hardik says already in post-COVID-19 situation. <laughs> that would be really interesting. And I, I, you know, Hardik, I agree with you entirely. I mean, in, even looking at infralogic data, early last year there were predictions of Armageddon, and and uh, nothing seems to have dropped off. Everything seems to be back to pre-COVID-19 levels. Amazing. Uh, kegs of powder and uh, you know if you look at charts if you look at the data charts as far as uh, you know closed transactions and even live transactions things are looking up so there was no real drop-off was there i mean for a brief period yes but it's pretty much come back isn't that true i i i, I think so and i think what it points to is we found like the world has found and the market has found ways to adapt right for things that you used to have to go meet people earlier, now you're, you're happy to do Zoom calls and continue moving on. There was, I would say, a brief period where things just froze for a couple of months, both last year and this year. 
but i think the resiliency of the underlying assets the the sector the people working in the sector or people working in general i think that's come out in spades and that and that has all contributed to how quickly things have bounced back whether like you said in transaction activity whether on actual physical economic economic activity on the ground as well i think all of that is pointing towards things are going to come back to normal if they haven't already much sooner than people thought 18 months ago okay cecilio uh, the same question with a focus on southeast asia i i ask you southeast asia because you know you are based in singapore and there seems to be from our our readers especially a lot of interest in southeast asia so already flirting with post covid 19 or is are we still yet uh, are we still yet to come out from there yeah so man to look i agree with with everything hardik said you know from a business environment uh, standpoint however sitting here in in singapore today it's a little bit hard for me personally to say that it feels <laughs> like we're in a post covid world uh when i'm still working from home <laughs> But uh but no I agree with everything Hardik said and I I just point out too that uh you know it's going to be hard to sort of draw the distinction of of where's the firm line when we're in a post covid environment uh, I I think in in my opinion you know covid is going to be a little bit more endemic and so it's going to be a little bit of a smoothing into just what is the the new normal of of living with covid and you know i think with with that lens i i say sort of it feels like from a business environment standpoint and 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 sort of activity uh you know we're already there like things are back things have bounced back and of course there's certain aspects of life or certain businesses or certain restrictions or travel uh that are different now and will continue to be different for a while um but i think it's tough to say that that one should wait or bank on all of them going back anytime soon and us going back to exactly to a pre covid world i i actually couldn't can agree more and um, you know i agree with both of you my impression is that we are definitely in a post covid 19 world you know barring the travel restrictions that you mentioned Cecilio and you know families you know kept apart that's been the tragedy of of covid-19 but hopefully uh, you know with vaccination programs things are going to get better Hardik and Cecilio are really 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 grateful uh, for you talking to Infralogic and uh, you know we we hope to continue to to keep talking to each other and uh, Cecilio you know if there's a Hong Kong Singapore bubble and you know you do travel to to hong kong please allow me to uh, to buy you a coffee and hardik the very exact same we also have an office in mumbai and when i'm there i'd be more than happy to meet up and we could chat over dinner or a coffee but uh, hardik and uh, cecilio thank you very 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 much once again and we hope to have you again in the future soon thank you for having us thank you robin that was that, that was a really good conversation thank you for having us